All right, everyone, welcome to The Five After School, the podcast where we react to episodes of The Five as a means of enrichment or a jumping off point for further conversation. Um, my name's Alan, and I am joined by one of the co-hosts of The Five, Brian Mowry, my former teacher. Hello, everybody. And today we are reacting to the 98th episode of The Five, The Five Things That Make Us Nostalgic. Um, so, um, uh, you know, I... I think the first thing that I learned from this episode was the etymology of the five, not, not the five nostalgia, right? Which is uh, uh-huh. nostos and algos, a suffering, suffering for something that you long for. Right. Um, yeah. So. Um, and by the way, the history of this, of finding with nostalgia as a, like a, as a psychological disorder, quote unquote, like in the, it was so interesting how psychologists were, were using this to describe problems essentially of assimilation of immigrants coming to America. That was so interesting to me that they start diagnosing immigrants with nostalgia because they can't assimilate because they kept thinking about how great things were Mm. back in the, in the home country. I just found that extremely interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I was talking to some people in my lab and like, they seem to have a similar sentiment even today, um, Mm. which is like, cause I, I live in the South side of Chicago in a residential neighborhood. And I'm like, do you like Chicago? And they're like, there's nothing to do here. Like, uh, mm. there's like, like in, in China, you know, it's late at night, you feel safe and you can go out to like a, a noodle shop and buy like noodles for a like dollar or two, uh, in their currency at least. Mm-hmm. And, um, here it's like, everything's shut down by eight or 9 PM. And then it's like, you know, you need safety and security. Um, so I don't know. They seem to, they seem to have a similar experience to that's what, that's what you talking about, you know, that immigrant mm-hmm. experience remind me of. Um, but anyway, I, I want to start off talking about um, nostalgia with the question that you posed to Ryan, I think at the very, very beginning of the episode. So let's okay. listen to that real quick. Mm-hmm. Okay, Ryan, I have a question for you. Start us off today. Shoot, shoot. It's at one, <laughs> two X speed. <laughs> All right. Take two. Here we go. Okay, Ryan, I have a question for you. Start us off today. Is, n- is nostalgia dangerous? Sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. right off the bat. Yeah, it can be dangerous. Yeah, because you, you you look back and romanticize times in your life that weren't that great, but you convince yourself. Mm. You can only remember the great the great aspects of it and that you feel the right. things that were joyful on a level that's so much more intense than the, the things that weren't. And that can be dangerous. Ooh. Okay, so I mm-hmm. I heard that answer. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. But I was curious, um, what did you have an answer before you know going into this of whether you thought nostalgia was dangerous? Uh, no, I'm not sure. Like, okay. I, I, like anything, I feel like anything can be dangerous, right? Yeah, yeah. So obviously, there's going to be good uses of nostalgia and bad uses of nostalgia. Like, I have, I have parents who are aging; they're in their 70s now. Mm-hmm. And they now talk like old people, you know, where they they're trying to they're disagreeing on the on the things, the stories they're telling. But it's fun. I enjoy sitting around older people, listening to them wax nostalgic about whatever they grew up in. So yeah. and I'm I'm un, I'm under no I, I completely realize and I know that it's probably not an accurate picture I'm getting when I'm talking right. to those folks, which I'm OK with. It doesn't bother right. me. Right. How much looking into or research did you do on nostalgia like uh, before you began the episode? Because you, you looked up the origins of the word, but did you mm-hmm. look up anything else like the Wikipedia page or anything? No, like when I when I looked up, I was just going to look for the for the Greek roots of it. And then I came across this, you know, the question or the um, 
the use of psychologists in the in the 18th and 19th centuries in the U.S. calling it immigrant psychosis. And I just thought that was really interesting. So I took a little bit of a deep dive reading about that, but that was about it. Hmm. How about you? I'm assuming you're asking me because you did some you did some yeah. research. So I actually didn't really do that much. So I I literally just Googled, is nostalgia dangerous, right? And um, <laughs> okay. I, I came up, I just, I only looked at two web pages, um, one of which was Wikipedia. But the first one was from theconversation.com. And they said that um, in the face of instability, our mind reaches for positive memories of the past. So hmm. nostalgia can act as a stabilizing force. Huh in a time of difficulty, which I think lines up with, you know, an immigrant experience, you know, where you're trying to make it, uh, make it in the new country. Right. Um, uh, but then I think Ryan is also correct when it's, when it's, when it's taken too far and you have a desire to escape into an imagined idealized world of a prior time, um, such that you don't, you're not present. You're not really there in the, in the actual real one. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then Wikipedia goes a little bit deeper. Well, because they the very first section of the page is functions. And so they have both positives and negatives. So the positives mm -hmm. are improving your mood, increasing social connectedness, enhancing positive self-regard, and providing existential meaning as well as psychological growth. But then the three negatives are deception, comfort, and a political tool. Um, and mm -hmm. when I when I looked at, uh, like, when you asked me, is nostalgia dangerous? My mind first, like, the first thing I jumped to was like politics because I feel like huh. conservatism by definition is trying to preserve what has been traditionally done. So mm -hmm. if you have a positive, if you have an idealized positive view of like, you know, what was previously done is better then you know, nostalgia can be used by various candidates in their, you know, in their oration as a way of, you know, winning over the crowds, especially of, of older people. Right. So if you even think about just just the term, the phrase make America great again, it's so genius hmm. because it's it's pulling on nostalgia, but it's not specific on that nostalgia. So it lets the listener link it to whatever they're nostalgic to. Yes. It's yes. brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Like political slogan. Yeah. 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 I think, yeah, Trump is really good at I think what I what I heard is he he goes to rallies and he tries out different slogans and the ones that. Hmm get all the applause. He just keeps using them and um, make America great again. Lock her up. We're, we're just a couple. Yeah. Of them. I guess sleepy mm -hmm. Joe's the latest one, but <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, cool. Yeah. I was just curious if you had any um, thoughts about that, but um, yeah, let's uh, let's jump into a thing that I wanted to, to ask you a bit more about, which I think was yeah. just uh, f over four minutes in. Yeah. I remember a lot of negative stuff. Well, like childhood. Like, like for example, my my year where I spent in China. Mm -hmm. Like my, like now I look back on it, all I remember is the interesting, fun, exciting things, and I know I was in a dark place, and I don't remember that. Hmm. Like I, you I think you you remember being in a dark. place? I don't then? remember the feeling of hmm. that. Like I don't remember the feeling of the depression or the loneliness. Oh, but, I can remember sometimes like that in life. Man, yeah. um, so that that was really hmm. so. I I wanted to cover a couple of things here which was um i kind of know your story of being in china you were in urumqi and you were teaching english and you had mm -hmm. a like a big head of hair back then um, i did have an awesome big head of hair yeah was, yeah i saw a picture and i was i guess for context sake can you tell us and the listeners what you were doing back then and how uh, old were you or whatever yeah so i i graduated college i was 23 years old and i was looking for some adventure and i was fortunate enough to graduate college without any debt and so that allowed me to find and apply for and get hired 
for a job teaching English in China. This would have been in 2002. So this was in the run-up to the Beijing Olympics. And so China was desperately trying to train as many people in English as possible. So when they, like 2008 was kind of China's, the, the party decided this was going to be their coming out party to the world. And so... And, and I think they were successful. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Definitely. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. So I was over there just to help people who had already studied English, but couldn't speak worth a lick. Like they're print that. They're, they just couldn't talk or hear very well, right? But they could they could write the hell out of an essay. Um, so I was just there trying to help them like improve their English. Actually, I was most people I was dealing with was English teachers. So these were uh, the teachers who were going to the children and teaching them English, but none of them had ever had any experience with the native speakers. So you can imagine how garbled the actual yeah. spoken English would have been, right? So yeah. how long did you spend time over there? I was there for about a little over a calendar year. Okay. So two semesters, and then I had spring festival in between. So, okay. And um, did you like so? So what was that like, and and why was it dark as you describe it? Mm. So like so essentially, so I was, I was a twenty two year old dude, and growing up, I was always I was in gifted classes. I was always the smart kid. I'd never I don't really feel like I'd ever been challenged by anything mm -hmm. academically. I was a naturally gifted athlete in some ways, and so. Essentially, I don't, I had never been pushed in anything or really seen failure. Mm -hmm. um, and so I left to go over there to China. And part of it was a sense of adventure. But I think I was also enamored with the idea of how cool it made me look like, mm -hmm. like I was going somewhere really far away, a place that very few foreigners had gone to. And I was like, it was I, I thought I was going to be pretty cool about it. And so I got there completely. I was completely unprepared to live outside my own culture. And I don't think you can prepare to live outside your own culture for the first time. Mm. There's a reason they call it culture shock, where that's a legitimate condition. Right. right. Um, and my resilience was very, I, I had very little grit. I, I had not trained to have grits. And so that year when I met things that were difficult for me, I didn't respond well. But here's the here's the rub. I was also still very vain and prideful. And so okay. I wasn't going to let my disappointment or my frustrations or my depression. I did not want that to be the public face of me at all. I didn't want to let any of it. I don't want anybody to know it. And so I worked really hard at maintaining a facade, which, quite frankly, I was good at. And so it was one of those things when you hear about these people who silently suffer in mental illness and, and granted, it was, I was not mentally ill. I was depressed, but it wasn't like, like, I, I don't know what I'm talking about here, but like, hmm. it was, it, it was re so essentially I was suffering on like completely individually on my own without any way to share with anybody. And it just, the year just broke me down because I thought hmm. I was a certain way. I thought I was intelligent. I thought I was tough. I thought I was an adventurer. I thought, about, I thought, I thought, I thought. And what that year showed me was I was none of those things, or at least not as much as I thought I was. And I, I, I always culminate this by saying that there were times after about being eight to nine months in there, and it was deep in the winter in Western China. And it was, it was a very depressing place. I lived in like communist block housing. And then when mm -hmm. snow came in and it was just, it was just, it was, it was a depressing place to begin with, let alone all the stuff I was dealing with. But I was trying to figure out, this was little legitimate thoughts I was having on my own was, I wonder if there's a way that I could hurt myself enough to where I would be forced to go home, 
but wow. but not enough to where it would cause permanent damage uh-huh. right because that way then i could still go home with a crazy story like i got hit by a car in china it wasn't that i couldn't hack it in china um mm. and that was like a huge waking i then i snapped out i was like holy crap dude what are you thinking <laughs> and so then i just i don't know i made it but i was i was i wasn't like a broken shell when i came home but i definitely didn't really know who I was when I came home from that. But now Hmm. I am, that was 2002. So that's 19 years ago I was living there. And now when I think back upon it, I don't remember any of those feelings, like the experience. So you can, you can describe the things that made you feel bad, but you can't, you can't make yourself feel the bad feelings. I, I cannot. And I only have now, this and this has to be something to do with your brain and the way the human brain functions with mm-hmm. this. But all I remember are the interesting things and the fun things. And like, I, I look back upon it fondly. And I remember a few years ago, I was telling stories about it or whatever. And my mom, like the only people who really kind of got a feel for who, how I was doing was my parents. Cause I was writing them daily emails and I didn't keep a journal uh, but my mom essentially printed out all those emails and made a journal for me. Wow. And I, I looked back in it and she, she was reminding me, Hey, you weren't doing really well during that time. It wasn't as rosy of a time period as you're describing. Hmm. Uh, and she was right. And so that's my only memories of it. It's not even memories. I can look at that and realize I remember I was there, but I don't feel it. And so nostalgia there, I don't accurately remember being there. Hmm. So I, I'm just trying to paint a picture of like what mm-hmm. made it so difficult. Like you, you mentioned like snowy winters or something. Um, oh, there's a lot of stuff. Yeah. So for example, like I was, I, I was maybe, I think there were, there were officially 70 foreigners who were in the city because it was a pretty closed city, right? There's not freedom of movement within a lot of places within China. And so that city to get in, I had to get special permission. And there were only, and out of those 70 people, foreigners out of a city of 2 million, there was about 35 of them were Korean. And so, you know, they could pull a hat down and they could Mm -hmm. like, they could probably pass at least as an Asian. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But me as a white dude who was a head taller than everybody, and I was a big dude. Like I was 260 plus. I mean, I just drew attention. And so everyone was always looking at me in that. Like, so like my action, like I would have students come up and say, Hey, someone saw you doing this the other day. And I was like, Holy crap. (laughs) Like I felt like I was being followed Right. Mm. And so, and then I was over there also kind of with a Christian organization. It mm-hmm. was a, it was, and so then they were the, um, they were running the English thing. Is that yes. what it was? Okay. And so I'm also supposed to, I guess, be representing Christ to all these communist heathens. Right. And so then there's <laughs> extra pressure. I was like, they're watching me all the time and oh my God, but I'm not, I'm falling apart. And so it was the pressure of that was huge. Number one. Mm. Um, the fact that I didn't really have a real friend there. I had a roommate who's American, but we did not get along. Okay. Um, and so I was pretty much alone there. And then let's see the winter was, it, it was, we were in the mountains. We were in the Tianshan mountains mm-hmm. and it was gorgeous. And I remember the first day it snowed, I woke up and I was like, Oh, cool. Snow. It was all white and beautiful. But then every apartment broke out their little coal fired fireplaces to heat their apartments. And so then it was just soot everywhere. So it was just black. Mm. It was black snow everywhere. And it was like that for four oh, months. Oh, goodness. And, okay. and it's, it, it was interesting because there was a lot of beauty when things were green because they had public spaces and parks and whatever. 
But the minute it got to winter, all the aesthetic beauty of where I lived was gone. And so, again, I didn't think that would be something that would affect me at that point. But looking back on it, that was a part of it, is not being able to feel like I was connected to the earth and to nature and that sort of stuff. So Hmm. it was, yeah, it was just, yeah, it was just rough being alone, being alone, not having the comforts of home and feeling like I couldn't share that with anybody. It was brutal. Yeah. But do you, so do you look back at that nostalgically? Do you look back at that with fondness, oh. you know, for the way that you maybe grew from it or became a tougher person, built grit? I, I don't right. know. So we have, we have, we had a pod, I don't know when it was, like in the 30s or 40s, where we talked about our greatest regrets. Mm. And I, I had a hard time with that because I don't have a lot of regrets because even things, the mistakes I've made, I can directly see the path they sent me on to growth. And mm-hmm. so I don't want to like, I guess I regret some things I've done, but I don't regret the effect that it had on me and what it made me as a person. And so I look at this the same way, right? You know, like if I could go back to 22 year old me trying to make this decision, I wouldn't say anything to me. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't say do it or enjoy it or be careful. I wouldn't want to interfere with it at all. Mm-hmm. Because it's formed who you were today yes. and, and to the interfere end, with that would be a paradox of sorts. hundred percent. Yeah. And I, it made me essentially it brought that China broke me down and kind of made me more of a clean slate. And then when going to two years later, I moved to Israel with my wife and we lived there for two and a half, three years. And that's kind of where I started getting built back up into what my new structures and foundational beliefs were. So, mm. so it was, it was, and for everybody, I mean, the year 20 to 30 is going to be when you really, is when you define who you are. Like I'm 40 years old, 42 years old. I'm not going to change who I am now. Right? Right. I'm not set. But where you're at in your life, you're in the formation of being who you're going to be for the rest of your life. Yeah. And those were, and the beginning of that for me was living in China. And so in that way, I look back at it fondly, but I still don't think I remember what it felt like. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, I, you know, I have a feeling that when I'm 40 and I look back at graduate school, I might, I might have a similar thing where, <laughs> really, yeah, where I'll just remember the good and um, it'll mm. be, it's, I already can tell, like, it's hard. I, I remember there were times where I felt very, very frustrated and angry. Like, I just, like, it just seemed like the way I was being treated just seemed unfair. Uh. Um, But I can't, I can't recall those feelings the same way you can't, you know, mm. I'm just like, mm-hmm. oh, that was a part of that was a part of school and it, and it, and it, um, it improved my interpersonal ways of handling people or Mm -hmm. dealing with, um, people who are too direct or not communicative enough, you know, stuff like that. So, um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I can, I can kind of relate, you know, although it seems like you were, I I imagine the culture shock was a much bigger splash into something different new. So, yeah, but it's the same thing, man. Yeah. Just different. It's an aspect of degree. So yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Your analogy with graduate school is very interesting. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in many ways, uh, graduate school was more of a time of personal growth than it was of, huh. you know, academic and intellectual growth. Right. Right. Cool. Yeah. Although that's not what people might expect. Um, <laughs> anyway, so that's the that's the second thing that um, we reacted to. And this third thing, I'm actually like kind of excited uh, to hear what your thoughts on this are. Okay. Um, it's from your philosopher friend, Jason. Ah, yes. Any, anytime you mention him, I'm like a dog where the ears perk up. Um, <laughs> Cause I, I just find his statements 
inherently interesting, but here we go. Mm -hmm. I have monthly contact with most of them and daily contact with a couple of them. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting to think about. Like my friend of the show, Jason, mm -hmm. right? Our philosopher buddy. Mm -hmm. He would argue that you can only have truly intimate relationships with two to three people. Intimate is at a, at a time. Thing. Like at a time. Okay. Like, like right now in your life, who do you have truly intimate relationships with? Well, this is the thing that I think. You know, I'm going to let Ryan um, pose his answer um, just just for the sake of it. So let's keep okay, going. Yeah. Changed how we communicate is text threads. Okay. Because you don't have to pick up the phone and have a, hey, how are you? What are you up to? What are you right, doing? Right. How are you? you can just immediately send off a text that just says, here's the information I want to share. I can't talk to you anymore right now. I'll get back to you in two hours. <laughs> okay. And you can have that kind of interaction without offending anybody or being uh -huh. impolite, anything like that. So I have like five text threads that are at the top of my, my feed that I just send stuff to people. Right. You know what I mean? To yeah. keep in contact with people I want to keep in contact with. But is there intimacy involved with that? Does that maintain intimacy? It, it makes it more likely that we will be together in person sooner than it would be if we didn't have any contact for three years. Okay. Right. Like it allows us to maintain that level of intimate is a tough word, but closeness. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sold. Okay. You know, we went off the rails on. <laughs> All right. You're not sold. So I, <laughs> I wanted to dive a little more uh -huh. into this. Well, I'll tell um, you this. I'm not sold on Ryan's fact because um, I don't think, I think Ryan and I would have very different working definitions of the word intimacy. Right. So my yeah. first definite, my first question to you was, how do you define intimacy? Um, I, I remember thinking about this in the first few years of my marriage when I was starting to like, like my wife and I are best friends now, but it doesn't start that way. Right. I still mm -hmm. had my best friend and then I married somebody who wasn't my best friend. Mm -hmm. um, and now we are, and I remember being struck very early in the relationship when we had this combination of, we were, I mean, we got married and we moved overseas. So a lot of our support, our support, you know, system was gone. It was just us. And this was even before Skype, right? So it was not mm -hmm. easy to communicate or internationally. Right. And so, um, we were all of a sudden we were thrown in this position where we were, we were on each other's only supports we were learning what it meant to be physically intimate with each other and emotionally intimate. And I was just struck with this idea of the connection between the idea of, Oh, because we, and it's weird at the time, like we, we waited to have sex before we, until we were married because we were raised in evangelical purity culture. I don't care about that anymore, but that's just what, that was our story. And so we were learning what that meant. Like we were basically learning how to become good, I don't know, good lovers with each other, like learning each other and that whole sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And the idea of like being completely open and honest and literally nothing in between you, like no clothes in between you. And so I associated the word intimacy with like nudity or naked, maybe not nudity, but nakedness, right? Mm -hmm. The idea of there's, there's nothing between us. I don't put any sort of facade. I don't hold anything back you know exactly who I am and what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking. And I do that with you too. That's what I would view a fully intimate relationship as. Hmm. And Ryan, I have no clue what he would define intimacy as. Right. I, I, have, I have no idea. So like he uses the term closeness and that closeness there. Yeah. yeah that, that would make sense to me there a little bit. Yeah. So yeah. Cause I was, I, when, when I heard this, you know, this, this statement, you know, I was like, yeah, what is intimacy? Because hmm. I think we describe intimacy in different categories with different mm -hmm. adjectives, emotional, like you said, emotional, physical, um, perhaps spiritual, perhaps something else I haven't thought of yet. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, it's like, it's like, I'm not a married man yet or anything. So, so there's perhaps a certain type of intimacy I haven't experienced, but, um, uh, you know, like, so, so my, my way of thinking about intimacy is just, it's, it's more or less what you said. It's like, I think of it as two people that expose everything within a certain realm, um, their emotions or their thoughts, um, where they're not holding anything back. And then it's, I don't, I don't know if this is intimacy or if this is just love or acceptance, but just the fact letting the other person just completely take it in and mm. to still accept you for who you are. Um, Ooh, yeah. 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 Cause I, I like, was thinking, I like that. Yeah. Cause I was thinking like there, are, there are a lot of, in most of my relationships where I'm generally speaking friends with people, um, there's always a part of me that, you know, like there are things that I feel like I, I can't say based on maybe their, their political beliefs or values. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, you know, yeah. Or there are things that I'm afraid to say, cause you know, maybe they'll get upset or they'll be triggered. Um, right. So you have self-censorship, that, you're self-censoring yourself. Yeah. Despite the fact that I feel, still feel very familiar and close to the person, you know, mm. um, and then I had another friend who I was, we were talking about our relationships with our parents and he said like, yeah, they might really know us and, um, we might spend a lot of time together, but sometimes when you feel like you can't really, um, connect on a, on something, on a similar wavelength about whatever, uh, and you're holding yourself back, it, it, it can feel very isolating or lonely despite the fact that you have company. Um, and so I think intimacy is the opposite of that, where there mm-hmm. is that connection where you're sharing everything and therefore there is connection on a deeper than, you know, your usual small talk level. Right. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So my, my, my buddy, Jason, well, he would talk about this. He's, he's really interested in the term community, what community means and all the various iterations of what community can look like. And the original conversation that made me think about this statement for the for the dot uh, for the for the pod was that Jason uh, has I don't know if he's developed this idea or read it or whatever, but he talks about these levels of community, and he would say there's there's actually four levels of community, um, and they go from less intimate to most intimate, and they he would say that hmm. you have a professional level, you have a social level, then a personal level, and then an intimate level of community. Hmm. Okay, and so the argument being like. Professional, I, I have, I, I share something in community with teachers everywhere. We have a shared experience, right? You know, mm-hmm. all the teachers in my school, my district, right? But there's no real intimacy in that. But it's, it is a community I'm a part of. Mm-hmm. And then socially, I'll meet people for drinks, you know, every couple of weeks, or when I see someone in the hall, hey, I'll stop and talk with them. How's your kids doing? Blah blah blah. And then personal, you know, it's, it's, you know, those are people who I'll share a little bit with, but not necessarily everything. And then the intimate level of community which where he would argue to maintain things like that, the amount of trust that has to come with the amount of time together, that makes it only two to three people that you can have that level of intimacy with. So that's his argument with it there. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that goes into the question I was going to ask Jason if he was here, which is, you know, how are you interpreting or defining intimacy? Right. Um, Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I guess my one question I have for you is like, aside from your wife, Jess, you know, are there other people that you would mm. say are at that level of intimacy? It's, it's interesting. Um, cause the guy, I just had a buddy come in this weekend who 
I would say it's weird because I do have that level of intimacy with him, even though he lives out of town. We were roommates in college. He was the best man in my, my wedding. But I only physically see him like maybe once a year. We talk on the phone maybe once a month. But like he was hanging out here in my house for a couple hours yesterday. I hadn't seen him in over a year. And you just fall right back into that level of, of intimacy, of complete openness with him. And mm. so it's interesting because part of the argument that Jason would make is that you need to have like the idea, the idea of having an intimate relationship is being is is trust and having time with each other to develop that. But I wonder if once it's done, it just maintains. I guess I don't. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And see, like what what I found interesting about Jason's statement is you so he said two three people at a time at a given point in time. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. so so that just you know gave me a train of thought of oh like does does intimacy require you know constant time with each other right like mm-hmm. if you don't see just for over a year and you guys go through different emotional arcs or you know different mm-hmm. encounters with surrounding circumstances and you then reunite you know is there's a little more distance i would i would mm-hmm. i would guess i mean i don't obviously don't really know but yeah. um but obviously there's still there's probably still a lot of closeness right but um would you have to rebuild intimacy or is there Ooh. you know is there something or is it is it kind of like your your buddy where you can kind of pick up where you left off? See, that's a really good question because my and Jess and I were married for two years in our third year of marriage, and her she started doing uh, rotations in her it was her fourth year of med school all over the nation, and I was just working here in Kansas, and so we spent that year kind of apart, um, but we had only been married for two years, and so that that was a really rough year, and I would say that probably I was closer at that time, more intimate with my buddies here in town than I was with my wife. Mm-hmm. But now if we had to spend a significant amount of time apart, I, I don't think that deterioration would occur. I really don't. Mm. And I wonder like, so think of my buddy who visited me this weekend, our first, I mean, we, we lived together for four years in college and then for two years after that. And so we put in, I don't know if it's foundation. I don't know what you want to call it to where then we can revisit and call upon that maybe credit. Like, I don't, I don't like intimacy credit. That's a term that doesn't make any sense, but we can pull from that bank. Maybe the way that I think I could do that better with my wife now, I'm assuming, but I don't know. That's, it's interesting because I I can only think of those two relationships right now that I would say are truly intimate relationships because I don't know if you, I don't know if you can talk about your kids in that way, right? Because the way you were describing with your buddies, I know my kids way better than anyone else is going to know them. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if they know me that well. There's, I don't, I don't know. It's right. And that sort of power differential, I don't know mm-hmm. if there can be true intimacy with that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think that makes sense. The part where you, I think it's especially the part where you like, they don't really know me, right? So. Mm-hmm. There's this difference in, in power and maturity that require that is required oh, for mm-hmm. I think um, for it to feel like there's this mutual mutual yeah, understanding yeah. of one another. Hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. You're right on on there. Yeah. And and the thing is like um, you know, and and one thing I was wondering, you know, is uh, like it's if I don't see it, like I was thinking about one of my friends. Um, he he was like one of my best friends from high school, you know, and I felt like we told each other everything and we, we hung out all the time and, and our lives have gone in different directions. Like 
he's he's three weeks older than me but he's married and having a kid soon you know mm-hmm. um and uh these days it just feels different talking to him like mm-hmm. um like there's not that same i don't know if we would call it intimacy or not but um it's almost like we're friends like what you were saying out of nostalgia like mm. there was there was that intimacy before and that that will always be there and so there will always be a level of closeness despite right. there not being intimacy in the present uh-huh. so so i wonder if intimacy becomes nostalgia if you let enough time pass on that's in- um, no that makes a lot of sense to me yeah and so then uh, the question is in your relationship with somebody that you've known for a long time but aren't really with now is your relationship still based upon the past or do you still have shared experiences in the present that that you can build upon? Which I would say would make an intimate relationship as compared to what you just said is an intimacy turning into a relationship based on nostalgia, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's I'm, I'm just I'm just thinking about it for a little bit. I I wonder if it's yeah. I don't I don't know if intimacy is. I don't know. Yeah, maybe closeness is. Intimacy is a renewed sense of closeness and vulnerability, uh, and maybe hmm. with with with, if you pass an expiration date, so to speak, then <laughs> right. then you know the you're a different person than you were yesterday or a week ago, and so you know then then it becomes almost nostalgic because you're not there right. with the person in the present. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, but I don't know. Maybe maybe that's just stuff to think about. But yeah. All right. Um, so let's see. <laughs> Fourth reaction. I just I just wanted to put something in there. Um, that wasn't okay. that wasn't too that wasn't too serious or anything. Newtons, like cookies, like fig newtons. Yes, like that's what every day when I got home from school, you would eat that newtons. Was, that was the snack that my mom had for us. What like, a weird cookie. Yeah, Can was. we stop and talk about fig newtons for a second here? Sure. They're like Nutri-Green bars yes. only sold as dessert instead of breakfast. And so they're supposed to be figs? Like it was well, supposed you to get, get jelly? That was, a, that, was a, that was a flavor. <laughs> you could get fig newtons, but they had strawberry newtons and... So let me ask newtons. you this. Have you ever had a fig? Without being in a newton? No. Have you have ever you? seen a fig? No. <laughs> no. No, not in a, in a Newton I have, but that's it. I Those weren't the best Newtons, though. Fig Newtons weren't the best ones. Oh, what was the Newton? You yeah, I was either strawberry or like grape apple Newtons? or something like that. Apple Newtons? Yeah. Yeah. But that for some, Newtons? the smell of the opening that, the okay. box and being like, oh, yeah, I'm home from school. It's time to turn on Sports Center and call my friend and see if he wants to hit baseballs. You know, it's like that's that was just. God, it's a really interesting. I know. It's a very distinct smell. They, yeah, like I'm feeling you open it. the pantry. Yes, yes. I can smell a Newton. And I'm like, oh, I'm back right after school. And, and they were in sleeves. Yeah. And and it was okay. I <laughs> I didn't know how long I wanted to. Play so here's the question: Have yeah. you had a fig Newton? Are you aware? Have you experienced these uh, cookies? You know, my first time seeing a fig Newton was I was a little kid, and my dad had people over, and he was eating them out of the the, the sleeve of the like a bag. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, what the what the heck is this? Like. I used to not like it. And then I think as I got older, it, it kind of grew on me. Um, <laughs> but I just, um, yeah, I just, I was just very, for some reason, I just really cracked up at that part of the the, the episode. Um, maybe, maybe because it was just like, just, it, 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 it kind of awakened a nostalgia that I totally forgot about, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> and then, and then, you know, um, when Ryan said, oh, it's uh it's it's basically a Nutri-Grain bar. I was like, <laughs> yeah. that's the that's the most insightful thing he's ever said. <laughs> no, <I'm just, laughs> no. That's funny. 
<laughs> yeah. I think it's um, more, it, it tells you a lot about Ryan that he has never seen a real fig or wouldn't even be able to pick a fig out of a, out of a, um, out of a lineup. Uh, yeah. I, I've joked, I've joked quite extensively. He's still living the bachelor life. He, he's, yeah, he doesn't know what fruit is. <laughs> so that's, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. that was good. Yeah. Um, and then I think you later said, I, I paused it before we got there. You were like, I, it feels like Fig Newtons should make a comeback or something, right? Yeah, it seems like something that should come back. I mean, they're over 120 years old. I think Nabisco introduced them in the early, in the late 1800s. Yeah. So, but I don't, I haven't seen one forever. Are, are, are they in supermarkets still? I wonder. Know, so I, I have a question. Do you guys go to Costco ever? Uh, my wife does. I don't make that trip. Okay. Um, because, one of my friends was buying um, like snacks for our free clinic that we run. And um, she bought this one snack called fig bars and they're basically fig Newtons and Nutri-Grain uh-huh. bars having a baby. And okay. um, they're really freaking good. And I think that's the closest thing to fig Newtons making a comeback. I'm looking uh, at them right now. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it looks like three fig Newtons. Yeah, exactly. Like they forgot to cut the fig Newtons apart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you think, and they're, they're good. You're telling me they're, they're yeah they're like they're like fig newtons but the outside is more of a nutri-grain multi-grain kind of uh, consistency it so. feels like if they wanted to they need to brand themselves as like healthy food if they do that i think i think fig newtons could be a thing right yeah yeah i yeah i guess i don't know fig bar yeah it, it, it could be more of a thing but yeah i guess no one really knows about it that much so <laughs> Yeah, they're they're whole wheat fig bars, so they're supposedly oh. more healthy. Hello, um, gotcha. Okay, yeah, <laughs> they're super sweet, so I wouldn't recommend <laughs> it. But yeah, all right. So um, that was that was our fourth reaction um, for this last one. I, I actually didn't really pick anything in particular because mm. there's there's so much that I feel like we could talk about in both of your lists. Um, so I was just thinking we could do a big picture rundown of your list compared to Mahoney's list. Okay. Um, so including honorable mentions, Ryan Mahoney has, and I might've missed it. I hope I didn't. Um, VHS tapes, TBX baseball bats, 90 sneakers, Newton's friends, reruns, the cereal aisle at the grocery store, and then baseball cards. Um, hmm. And then you, Brian Mowry have in your honorable mentions, airports and seven elevens. And then your five through one are cicadas 90s alt rock bones thugs and harmony oh. uh 1999's will smith's big willie style and then finally it. driving on roads in southern johnson county you got it um so let me ask you this have you listened to any bone thugs and harmony i don't think so mm. unfortunately there's your homework um, assignment there we go yeah i you know i should have done this before we did the part uh-huh. uh, yeah um do you have a song or album that you'd recommend east 1999 there you go. Bones, Thugs, and Harmony. Um, East 1999. Yep. Okay. There it and is they, right there. Where is it? Second oh, one. there we go. Oh, yep. the year I was born. There you go. Check them out. Don't listen to it around any kids. Okay. Oh, it's not Bones. It's Bone, Thugs, and Harmony. Yeah, Bone, Thugs, and Harmony. Yep. But there's no Bone. It's just Bone. Okay. Yep. So did was it so I have a question for you on this. Did you like it more so for the fact that you had this experience of rapping together with other kids at school or was it about the music itself? I'm 
I'm sure it was just the experience because it's about nostalgia, right? Mm-hmm. When I hear this album, it immediately makes me think of being on buses coming over basketball games or being in the locker rooms of basketball before or after basketball games. That it just takes me back there immediately. And we, it's not like we always listen to this, but this is what I most associate with that time in those that community I was a part of. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Hmm. Cool. You know, and and I I don't know if this is wrong or I don't know if I'm mistaken, but looking at um, Mahoney's list, it feels like he picks things that are fads, you know, things that are big at a certain time. And so he really remembers the part of his childhood or life when they were huge, you know, like um, like sneakers or friends um, Mm. or baseball cards. Whereas I feel like your list is more of you know what you just said it brings me back to a certain experience it reminds me of this particular experience um that's interesting yeah because it's interesting like, observation you know like oh i went to airports and i remember going to china or going to israel you know or mm-hmm. bone thugs and harmony oh i remember when we wrapped together in the vans or the locker room you know or southern john county roads oh i remember heritage park and like you know just sitting out there you know back when nothing was there um mm-hmm. you know and so it's it's just interesting just observing how you guys construct your list slightly differently, even though at the end of the day, all of those things are objects or things. Right. Yeah. That is interesting. But I, but, but I mean, essentially what you're saying is all, all of mine here are directly related with experiences. Right. Right. And so, but, and I'm yeah. sure that would, Ryan would say it's the same with his. I just don't think he went into that depth with him. Right. Cause when he says, sports cards he was thinking about the experience of buying a new pack and trying to mm. trade them with your friends um i get i mean that's that's the that it has to be that right or it's not that's what the nostalgia is i'm assuming right yeah yeah but no that that's an interesting observation there so and i also don't know like i look at my kids and i, and I wonder like what's their what, what's their nostalgic feelings gonna be and stuff like that because they're not like i think my kids are like me like if like sometimes you'll you'll see a kid and you're like, oh, that kid is a Pokemon kid. Like that's all he wants to do. Or that kid is just football or that kid is just this or just that or whatever. And yeah. I never really had anything that defined me. Like I never went deep in anything. I kind of enjoyed doing a lot of different stuff, but it also, it just, it, I was very diverse in that. And my kids are the same way. And I get the feeling that Ryan was not like that, that Ryan went deep. Like he was, for lack of a better term, like he defined himself. I'm a baseball guy or I'm a this guy. I remember that guy. So I don't know if that makes a difference with it as well. Yeah, it probably does. But I, I think that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Cause at the end of the episode, you're like, Oh, you know, we, we made our lists Were any of these things dangerous is nostalgia dangerous, you know? Uh, and um, you're like, Nope, I don't think so. So mm-hmm. it, it just seems like, um, it seems like there's this difference in personal versus historical nostalgia. You know, I think, I think nostalgia Mm. over a time in history can be dangerous because you're saying the present, you know, the zeitgeist is, is far worse off than, you know, what we used to have, you know, Mm -hmm. but when it's more of like, Oh, the smell of those pancakes takes me back to my grandmother and in her kitchen or whatever. Yeah. It's, you know, then it's, then it's just more of a fondness for a particular time in your life. It's more personal. No danger there to society as a whole. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I guess one last thought I had was, um, mm-hmm. it seems like, like when I think of why nostalgia is nostalgia, right? It's like you're longing for something that you can't go back to. Um, mm. And 
And so, That's like, uh, you you know, and I'm wondering if the the like, I'm just wondering, like, you know, what is it, or why can't you go back to it? You know, and I think I think in all the examples you guys bring up, uh, obviously a lot of it is, you know, the thing the thing is external. You know, like um, TBX baseball hat bats are not going to come back into into fashion. You know, and so there's an external historical or cultural phenomenon that's mm. never coming back. But I think, I think especially maybe, I don't know, maybe more so for you, it's, um, it's more of like, uh, you know, you will still hear cicadas around mm -hmm. in your, in your summer, yep. summer neighborhood. Right now, the 17 years are out and it's deafening. And I right. think about that every time I step outside. Right. And, and so maybe for, for that kind of example, it seems like it's not external, but it's more internal. Like, um, mm. you're you're never going to have the same novelty or that same first, ex you know, that same naive experience of having heard them for the first summer or the second time right. around, you know, um, same thing with Jess. And you, I think you mentioned her countering a wall of cereal at college. Yeah. Like, uh -huh. I'm just, like even if they were still around, she can't, what she can't go back to is being a new freshman and seeing that right. for the first time and being wowed and enjoying that, you know, because mm -hmm. um, she's a different person right now. So there, there is this kind of thing where timing and who you are as a person is very, is very much the determinant of whether something is nostalgic to you. Right. And, and not I'm, just, not just the yeah, thing yeah. itself. Yeah. And when I was reflecting upon this, my list with my wife here, she shares her views with airports with me, mm -hmm. right? Cause she was well-traveled as well. And then even before we were married and then we got married, we traveled a lot together, but that feeling is interesting. It's like summer of 2019, we took uh, essentially a month long trip. We flew to New Zealand and then we also went to Australia from there. And I remember like, you got to make a lot of connections. And so you're sitting in airports, you're doing that thing. And just that same feeling of excitement came on to me. The same feeling that I had before I went to China, before I went to Israel, before we traveled all these places. And then the same kind of feeling of, that's funny. And that, that trip, it was, we didn't have the excitement of going home. We were just disappointed we were going home. But, like mm -hmm. I a feeling like that, I think, that's an interesting one because that was the feeling of, of freedom, right? Mm. We were going on an adventure. I, it, it's just, it's, that's interesting to think about there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And you, it's, it's very unlikely you'll ever be able to return to that feeling of free freedom and adventure. Definitely not. Especially yeah. with two kids in tow. It's not happening. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, when, when were you guys in Australia? Was this early on in your marriage or? No, this was 2019. Oh, 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 oh okay. Okay. Got Took the kids up. with us. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. Cool. All right. I have two last questions and then we'll wrap up this episode. Okay. Um, when you said you discussed things with your wife when making your mm -hmm. list. Um, did she have it? Did she have a list of five things or anything like that? Oh, um, she didn't share one with this one. I can't think okay. besides the airports. Yeah. Okay. I should ask her. It's a good, yeah, it's a good you know, question. I, like, cause you guys had similar upbringings, right? So I'm wondering how yeah. similar your list would be as well. Yeah, that's a good question. I'll ask her. I'm, I'm going to yeah. ask her tonight. Sure. And then, you know, um, I'm curious, you know, what do you think? Like, I know that we, we just mentioned this, but what do you think your kids might be nostalgic about? Mm. You know, do you want to take a guess and then, you know, come back to this in 20 years and see, see how, how on the dot you are? Yeah. Right. That's a good idea. I wonder if they're going to be nostalgic about your camper. Man. I, I um. think that might be. Cause you know, you, you ride around mm -hmm. Montana or Idaho and you, you sleep in it, you know, it just seems mm -hmm. like there's a lot of, you know, 
emotional intimacy with this vehicle that you might build if you're if you're part of the family. Yeah. And we're hoping, I mean, that's still another seven years before, what do we got? Six years before one of the graduates from high school. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's the plan. That's Just a good six. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She's in sixth grade. That's crazy. So, okay. Yeah. No, that's interesting. It probably will be centered around that, huh? Yeah. That, or they're also very fortunate because they have both set of grandparents live four miles from us hmm. and they have four out of their six siblings, uh, cousins live within the same city so wow they have a lot of family time so i don't know what that i don't know if that makes it less likely like my, my nostalgia with hanging out with my grandparents is both my grandparents once that lived in illinois once that lived in new jersey so i saw them once a year and it was always like really special like mm. we're going out to new jersey and so whereas my kids see my grandparents see their grandparents like every day or two so maybe that doesn't breed as much as much as mm. like i have for northern new jersey or i have for the lake behind my grandparents house in illinois yeah yeah. i don't know that's interesting oh man see, you'll see i think i think if they were suddenly just no longer see their family or something like that mm-hmm. then then it might breed nostalgia um yeah i don't know that's a fun one i gotta encourage my kids to do podcasts when they're about 30 and then i can hear all this stuff yeah yeah um one question that just popped in my mind just last mm-hmm. one um how old were you when you first when you first felt nostalgia for something? Oh man, um, who can you even remember? I I don't know. No, I I don't know. Like, I I bet it had to do with college. I bet I was a year right. or two out of college, thinking back on my college experience. Like when mm. I was just with my buddies all the time, just hanging out. But I don't know. That's a guess. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Sure. I, was just, I was just curious, you know, like when does nostalgia arrive? How, how old do you have to be? But yeah. Well, I, I, are you feeling nostalgia? You know, I think for a time during my, you know, my post-grad, you know, post-college life, there was a part of me that was like, man, college was, you know, when you're in dorms and you were around people regardless, you know, instead of being by myself on Friday night, you know, and, and you mm-hmm. can do whatever, whenever, you know, and yeah. Um, I don't know. There's a certain time of exploration and freedom that, you know, right. that I think you have to let go of. And, and then because you have to then embrace a lifestyle of routine and lack of structure. Um, yeah. And yeah, so I definitely felt nostalgia there. I just don't remember if I felt nostalgia before then. Oh, but, oh. yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah. Cool. I enjoyed this. I enjoyed this conversation, brother. Yeah, you ask good too. questions. Yeah, I'm yeah, I that's what I like to do best. But um yeah, thanks for talking. Thanks for talking about um, all your things that make you nostalgic. Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. I'll talk to you next time. All right, bye.